five loaves and two fishes. Now this is a boy's meal. Uh, when we think of loaves, we think of this. But when you think of the loaves that he was carrying, probably something more like that. Just five, five small loaves and the fish probably about hand size. This is a boy's meal. He's not lugging around two five pound bags. He's got two little fishes. And Andrew says, that's all we've got. And so Jesus says, well, tell everybody to sit. And scripture says that uh, in verse six that he was testing his disciples. Uh, because obviously one little meal for one boy is not going to serve 12 to 15,000 people very well. So they obey, and you've got to think, well, what are they thinking? Like, oh, Lord, you really got, we've seen a lot of miracles. This is going to take something because uh, you imagine how big, uh, so what is this auditorium? We've got chairs here for about 400 or so. So multiply that by many, 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 about 30 of these rooms like this. Just start stacking them back and back and back and you've got 15,000 people and you've got a couple of little crappie. White perch in Arkansas. Five biscuits. Um, you know, God has had a history of using tests. Um, talks about in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we won't take the time to read that, but um, God tested, it says he tested Israel in the wilderness so that he could know their hearts. Uh, of course, he already knew their hearts, but the, they needed to know their hearts as well, and that's what tests do. It helps us to see our own hearts. Uh, in Judges, the scripture says in Judges chapter 3, verse 1 and verse 4, that God used the nations around Israel to test the Israelites to see if they, the Israelites, would obey Him. They were being tested as they ran into these other cultures and other values and other practices, other religions, and they were being tested as they interacted to see if they were going to obey God or not. We all know how that went with Israel, not too well, except for Joshua and Caleb and a few others. Um, are we tested today? Larry says yes. Are we tested today? Lynn says yes. Alan is nodding. Not nodding off, nodding yes. The nodding off part comes a little later. That's me about 7 o'clock at night in my recliner. Now usually I'm good to about 8. Tests today. What does that look like? You can go ahead and speak. We're, we're among friends here. What do tests look like? Say again. 
Illness. Hard times can come in a lot of ways, right? Maybe with work, financially. COVID can be a test, sure. Has been, hasn't it? Good grief. COVID has knocked out about one third of the people of all brands of churches who are attending still. We go to Walmart. We go all over the place. We go to Home Depot. But we're, we got uh, somehow or another coming to the assembly. It's like, oh, I'm in my pajamas and my coffee here. I'll just flip the TV and have some church. Really? Somehow I don't think that's the purpose of church. It's been a test. It, it, is, it continues to be a test. Some people need to be at home, I understand that. And I'm glad that we are able to stream services to those who need to be safe. That is very, very good. But if they're going to get up uh, and go uh, after streaming the TV, go out to uh, the Lazy Dog and then after that to Home Depot, maybe there's a test going on. Tests, you know, by definition, uh, those are challenges. And we, we have them all the day, sometimes small, sometimes larger. Uh, let's see. Um, but tests are not particularly intended to be easy. And God uses tests to see what's in our hearts, to help us know what's in our hearts. And of course, we're in a community of people that we're interacting with, and by our actions, we display what's in our hearts as well. Don't we? Let's look at, uh, let's look at a couple of passages. First Thessalonians chapter two. First Thessalonians chapter two. Uh, in verse four, First Thessalonians two. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. And by the way, we're all here entrusted. Good morning, Jennifer and Henry. Good to see you guys. Yeah, I shouldn't have said anything. In case you missed that, I'm not going to repeat it. Uh, who tests to please... <coughs> Let me go back. But it, we're entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please men, but to please God, who tests our hearts. God tests our hearts. James, uh, flip on over a few more pages there to the book of James, chapter 1. James 1, verse 3. For you know, James says, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Uh, we don't use that word much these days, do we? Steadfastness. We're going to need some help with that. 
I'm looking at Steve, steadfastness. Perseverance, oh, somebody help me with perseverance, Jake. What would that be? Stick to itiveness. Hanging on, hanging in, hanging on. Where? Tenacity. So the testing of our faith, he says, produces steadfastness. So there will be tests. That's plural. Um, there are a lot of passages that we can look at there. I, do I want to look at them? Uh, let's, let's turn over to 1 Peter, a few more pages there. 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter verse 7. He's talking about Well, let me just read. Uh, let's start verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuine, genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of the Lord Jesus. Let me say that again. So that the, um, let me find my place, the tested genuineness of your faith may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of the Lord Jesus. So we will have tests and, and it can come in a lot of ways. And so that's, that's the thing with us is to continue to believe and trust that God is working in the situation or that he's watching in the situation to see am, am I going to continue and be faithful and trust. And you know, sometimes people get discouraged and they say, well, I prayed to God and he didn't answer me. He didn't do this or he didn't do that, which means I knew what should have happened because I'm expecting God to do certain things. And if he doesn't perform to what I do as I ask or think he should, then why bother? I'm walking away. How many people have given up on church because of some discouragement and they prayed and God did not answer the way they wanted or at the time they wanted and they said, well, why bother to pray? And maybe not realizing that God is testing their faith. Do you really believe I am sovereign? Are you really going to trust me? And I'm not saying, wow, it, is, it may not be easy at all. There's nothing. Some tests... Maybe easy. A lot of tests are not easy at all. And we don't need to judge God by how we think He should perform. He's God, not me. Uh, so, tests, God uses tests. And so, Jesus was using a test here in John 6 to see how the disciples would respond to this challenge here of feeding these thousands of people with one happy meal. 
Uh, it was a test. Let's read in John 6. Let's read in John. Let's start at verse 10. And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, and the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing will be left or wasted. So they gathered them up and filled up 12 baskets, which was more than they started with. So, what would be the moral, let's see, uh, the moral of this story, would you say? Jennifer started to raise her hand, but she was just putting it around McKenna. So, I won't call on you, Jennifer. Say it again. Don't waste food. Don't waste food. Thirds, anyone? Guys? God's will? 
but I don't have the ability, I don't have enough to do it. But the moral in the story is, well, but bring what you have. I got a happy meal. I'll give that. And let God do with it what God wants to do to accomplish his purpose. To not, for me not to decide no based on the limits of my ability, but to look at it and to say, well, I need to pray about this. Maybe is this God's will? And if it is, maybe I should try. Maybe I should just take a step or two and, and launch out here. And let's see what God does. I think of it, there's a small church back in Arkansas where uh, we lived in central Arkansas. And about 45 miles away, there was this little church by the name of Rimmel. And there used to be a little town there, but the town had evaporated. And Rimmel was left, uh, it was a church, uh, a community church, of a, a church of Christ of about 140 people that, that came from all around, although the town was gone. Rimmel was about 15 miles from Newport, which was about 10,000 or so, and about 45 miles from Searcy. It was literally, the church was literally in a bean field, a soybean field. That's all there was there. You'd see a house over here, a house over there, you drive, and there's another house over there. It was in the middle of literally nowhere. One of the leaders of that church there had a daughter now, uh, years later, a grown daughter, who had had terrible problems with drug addiction in her growing up and in her young adult years. And he and some of the leaders of the church there were talking and thinking about that one day and said, you know, there's, there's a epidemic, no, it's a pandemic of drug use in our area, in our nation. Our daughter has come out of it, but there are tens of thousands of women, young women like her who are suffering, who have, they've just lost their way. They're in prison. They're about to go to prison. They're stealing. They're all this stuff. And they say, why don't we start a recovery program here at church for these women? And we have a parsonage that's no longer being used. We can bring seven or eight, nine or ten girls, ladies in, and they can stay there for free. And we'll do this and we'll let them have a year's free uh, residence and we'll go through our program. And we'll develop a, a program that involves work with your hands and Bible study every day and some personal time for reading. Study classes taught. I was blessed to be able to teach there for three years. And that was every day, and work was every day, and they worked in the bean fields, and they had a little private time. They didn't have any cell phones. They had no contact with the outside world for the first uh, 30 days. And then on weekends, their parents, if they wanted to, could come up and go to worship services with them at church. They're just about to complete a second dormitory that will house 30. They have a built a dormitory that houses 30. They're about to go to 60 ladies. This is a church of 130, 40 people. They're providing drug rehab to 60 women soon who are coming out of drug addiction free of, free of charge, feeding them and loving on them for a year before they go back home. Somebody might have said, this is beyond our ability. We're just a church of 140 
Do you know how much it would cost to build dormitories to feed 60 women for a year? So we uh, say, is this God's will? And then we try, and then we see what he does. I want to notice there's something here um, also. Um, look at verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them. Have you noticed that in the scripture, every time before Jesus prays, he gives thanks? Every time. He always gives thanks. Don says what? Yeah, we should not. He said we, basically, we shouldn't sit down and have a meal without giving thanks. Why wouldn't we give thanks? You notice, uh, so turn back with me to John, uh, to Matthew chapter 6. Let's go back. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. That sounds like the Sermon on the Mount, God says. Have you been reading your Bible? I suspect. Matthew 6. So Jesus is giving the sermon there. And notice, he says this, uh, start verse 9. Matthew 6. Pray like this, Jesus says. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Comments, give us this day our daily bread. Your thoughts. Uh, it's a model prayer, it's the Lord's prayer. And he gives honor to God. He starts out honoring the Father and asks for his will to be done. And then the next thing he says is, give us today our daily bread. So your thoughts on that. Carolyn? Give us this day what we need to one step at a time. One day at a time, one step at a time. Give us today what we need. Let's, let's not assume too much. You know, did James make a comment about that in the book of James? He said, you're like a... That's, that's what your life is. And James goes on and says, look, you make assumptions. You say, to this year we'll go over here to this city and we'll work and get gain and do this and that and then we'll come back. He said... How foolish, how arrogant. You're a mist. How can you assume we're going to go spend a year and do this or that? You're just here a day at a time. Are you making some assumptions? So Jesus says in, in, in the model prayer there, a couple of things that, that we might notice about that. Give us this day our daily bread. I, I'm dependent upon the Lord for whatever I have. Oh, I worked hard for that. Yeah, but Deuteronomy chapter, uh, what is it? Chapter 8, he says, 
Who gives you the ability, who gives you strength and the ability to do this or that and the talent that you have and the ability to work? Where's that come from? You worked hard, yeah. Well, who gave you the, the strength and the ability to work? God. So don't, let's not talk about what we did by jerking ourselves up on our own bootstraps and how hard we worked. That's good that we had a good work ethic, but it wasn't our ability that gave us the strength to do that. Let's not make too much of an assumption here. So he recognizes God's ability, uh, not God's ability, God's gift to us to give us our abilities. Paul talks about in Acts 17, he's the God who gives life and breath to everything. Life and breath to everything. So as you draw in the next breath, thank the Lord. God is letting that diaphragm work and those lungs fill. As God's allowing that. He reigns on the just and the unjust. He gives everybody, good or bad, the ability to breathe and make decisions about their lives. It comes from God. So Jesus says, uh, built into that model prayer there, acknowledge the Lord, give us today what we have today. Let's, let's recognize we're here. We're here a day at a time, moment by moment. And the model prayer goes back really to Exodus. Um, Jeff. So I'd like to go back to James real quick. Does James imply that we shouldn't make plans? Does James imply that we should not make plans when he says, when you say, let's go to this or that city and uh, work for a year and get gained and come back? And so Jeff says, does James say do not make plans? Comments? There you go. James was a vegetarian. You like that, Steve? James was an Epicurean. You want to go into that, Jeff? So back to the moral of the story, huh? So is it wrong to plan? I, I want to go, uh, when I get out of high school, I want to go to college for four years and get my degree and, uh, and, and basket weaving and uh, go on from there. No, I, I think it's a good point though, Jeff, that make plans, but pray, Lord, as according to your will. Make plans in the context of knowing, Lord, if you will, if it's your will, help me to do this or that. I'm not assuming I'm going to be able to continue to live to 140 or do anything else or go to Yellowstone Bible Camp next summer. I make plans to go if it's the Lord's will. But I can't make an assumption that it's just going to happen because I think about it. Does that make some sense. Any other comments, Steve? Going back to James 4, and that passage, it also deals with your arrogance, your arrogance, your arrogance, your arrogance. And that goes back to the Deuteronomy passage, how we brag about having the strength that we built and did this or that, and he says, you are so silly. God gave you the strength and the talent you have. 
that was from God all along. Jeff, Jeff you have more? So the reason I bring up the question is, I think too many times we read that and say, well, then it's all on God. I have no responsibility. Saw a church sign there in front of a church that said, pray like everything is up to God and work as if everything is up to you. Our problem, I think, in many cases, you brought up the church that built the dormitories. We see the church as a lifeboat where we sit and climb in and we huddle together and wait for the second coming. In reality, we ought to be a military beachhead like D-Day, where we are out pursuing and liberating people as opposed to sitting by just waiting for the second coming. So well said. I hope everybody heard that. Uh, but I would repeat all of that if I had the ability. But basically, let's live engaged, let's plan to do and to work as according to the Lord's will, and if He gives strength, let's engage and move forward, knowing all along that it will be by His gift and His blessing if the next day comes. One more here. Covenant, a code by which to live. 
So Moses said, there's another prophet coming like me who will be raised up from among you. So there's another one coming who's going to bring freedom and who's going to bring a new covenant. One like Moses. And so the people are saying, look at what he just did. He just, he just fed 12,000 people. And we've been watching this guy for the last several weeks and he's healing all kinds of people. Lepers and all kinds of things. So they said, this must be the prophet. Of course, Israel was more than anxious to get out from under Roman rule. The Jews didn't like having the Roman rope around their necks. They were looking for another Moses who would lead them out of slavery. They had another passage going back to Isaiah. They had the passage from Isaiah which said that Isaiah 9, chapter 9, verses 6 to 7, how that there would be another one coming who would be called, and it goes through a list of things, mighty counselor, mighty God, and on and on and on. And it says, who will sit on the throne of his father David and his throne of his government, there shall be no end and his throne will last forever. And Israel said, yeah, we want some of that. We want Israel to be a world power again. To sit on David's throne forever. Their whole thought and focus is on earthly military power. Earthly freedom, military freedom, and power. They had no idea what God was planning about freedom from sin and death. Spiritual freedom. But they said, this guy, this must be the prophet that Isaiah talked about and that Deuteronomy that Moses talked about, one like me. And it's very interesting, and we'll, come, we'll, we'll see this again later. He said, he's going to come from among you from among your people. And later on, the Jews are going to criticize Jesus by saying, isn't he from among us? We know Mary and his dad, Joseph, and his brothers, Joseph and Jude and all these people. He's, this guy can't be God. We know who he is. We know where he came from. It's the very thing that Moses said would happen. This new prophet would come from among you. And when he came from among them, they said, this couldn't be the prophet. Um, well, I was thinking we might get through three pages today in my notes. We got through nearly one. So, we got just a few minutes here. So, I want to do this. Uh, turn with me, everyone, please. Turn with me in your phones and in your Bibles, if you have one, to John chapter 13. Honest to read a verse. John chapter 13. Um, let's look at verse 35. And let's go to 34. 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, 
you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What does that look like? Does that look like 45 people yesterday loading a container for Zambia? For people that we don't even know? It's certainly not the English translation of love. It's a copy. Continue. So we often confuse, uh, English language lets us down. We see love as making me feel good, make me feel welcome and, 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 um, and good about myself. When in reality, agape is active in wanting the best for the other person. Which a, sometimes is not pleasant. A love that seeks the good of others. A care, an interest, a thing from inside that seeks what's good for others. By this, all men, in some version, all people, will know you're my disciples by observing what you do, that you care about others in many, many ways. It's a phone call, it's an email, it's a text, it's a bowl of soup, it's a pat on the shoulder, it's interaction. It's interaction. I said it's interaction. Have I said that? Did I mention that? It's interaction. We got time. Let me tell you about Jack. Many years ago in a congregation far, far away, Uh, we were there for a long time, and there was this fellow at church, uh, we'll call him Jack, call him Jack because that was his name. <laughs> Sometimes people say, well, not, I'm not going to use the name, I'm going to use another name. I just call him Jack because that is his name. Nice guy. Very quiet. Uh, I would say over the years that I knew him, painfully quiet. Come in, you see him at church, he's there every Sunday, and occasionally in inter interaction of traffic, might make eye contact. Hey, Jack, and he's like, you, know, you might get a smile, it's a very small curve of a smile. Eye contact for about one second, and then back to the floor, and back and forth every Sunday. Like I said, a good guy. But that was that, that was the thing about Jack, so quiet, painfully quiet, I would say. So this went on for years. I didn't even know what Jack did for a living. You very difficult to engage him in conversation. So one day, once upon a time, there was a home show of some sort. I don't remember if it was a fishing show or a home show. Something was happening at the Civic Center. So all these merchants had their their wares, their products, their trailers, the different things that they were putting on display for the public just to come and look, you know, how those shows go. And so I'm, I'm going to go and walk through it, just take, check it out a little bit. I go in there and I see ahead of me there's Jack. And he worked for one of these dis, uh, displayers for companies. I, I didn't know that. So I saw him and so I'm walking that way. About the time I got from me to Betty here, 
somebody else walked by up to their booth, and I'm just watching this interaction. The guy walks up and Jack says, hey, how you doing? And this is like, hey, it's good to see you. We were really, I was about to fall out of my teeth. I had not seen that much energy from Jack in years. It was a whole new person, Dr. Jackal and Mr. Jack. And he was outgoing and engaging and interacting with that person. And I thought, my goodness. Because he knew what his role was and he knew who he was representing. And it was his responsibility to go and represent him. So, let me say to you, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, how that we're ambassadors for Christ. Don't we know who we're representing? I'm not here to represent. I'm here to represent Jesus. So are you. By this will all men know that you're my disciples by the love that you show. Last minute. Was it Guy and Whitney? Who are we over here? I forget your names. Tyler? Yes, Tyler. There's another one that's just like you. It's military also. <laughs> There's Tyler over there. There's Melissa right there. There's Eric back there. We got two choices here as we dismiss. We can go on about our business or we can be known by our love and our interest for others. Some of us have not yet had the chance to greet one another. Eric, I do expect you to go over and greet Tyler. I'm serious. Some of us have not had the chance to greet each other, to say hello, to smile to Clark. How many of us know Clark? Clark's here. Do you know who Clark is? He's here. Be good if you met him. Here's a tip. Clark is not the person sitting by Ginger. That is not Clark. Another tip. This is not Clark. But Clark is here. What is my point? Let's not be content to come in and out and leave week in and week out and not engage and make it our purpose, our responsibility to be ambassadors for Jesus by engaging and meeting and greeting and showing care and love. Let's not settle for that. We're better than that. Let's engage. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs 
as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.